0: You're now tuned in to Nicole Whitney's News for the Soul Highlights, life-changing spotlights she has shared with leading teachers in the human consciousness field since 1997. Go now to newsforthesoul.com to hear the full shows totally free. That's newsforthesoul.com.
1: Hi everybody, I'm Nicole, I'm here, we're live, this is News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. New guest to introduce you to, I'm excited about hearing this tale, Uh, Texas physician and author Larry Dossie on the power of premonitions. That's right up our alley, of course, and we're going to find out more about that momentarily. We'll get the break done, as we do at the top of the hour, and go straight through. I hate those interruptions, you know. I want it to be all in the flow in a good way, so that's what we do here. If you miss any of the show anytime, newsforthesoul.com. All last decade or so shows all free all the time. Yeah, that's how I roll. Newsforthesoul.com. That's where you go, but not now, because he's here live momentarily. We're going to get started.
2: Yeah man, we all love to hear the good news. So we all should rush to hear the good news. But we cannot find the good news. Nfts, Nfts, news for the soul at the very best. Nfts, Nfts, news for the soul at the very best. Nfts, Nfts. News for the soul at the very best, yeah man, just log on to www.newsforthesoul.com. the like that, the rubble, yeah, you We are a life-changing talk radio, we give you good news to keep you on the go, and you can also share the good news, you know, and that's the way we keep in the flow. We only focus on the positive things, yeah, we only focus on the positive things, yeah. We not going to put none of the negatives in there. We not going to put none of the negatives in there. NFTS, NFTS. News for the soul at the very best. NFTS, NFTS. News for the soul at the very best. Log on to www.newsforthesoul.com. Come hear the good news, share the good news. And we all feeling
1: good for the good news. Let's meet our new guest. Just such an interesting story. And it's always, uh, I always love the stories where spirit and science cross over when you get medical professionals and people sort of generally, traditionally in the left brain place having amazing experiences which cross over into that lesser known, the unknown, the unexplained. And uh, as you know, that's where we live here So that's what we're going to do Is bring all that together, find out about Larry Dossey's story And for some reason I've never talked to this man before I don't know why Texas physician and author Larry Dossey On the power of premonition In his 1989 book Recovering the soul He introduced the concept of non-local mind Mind unconfined to the brain and body Mind spread infinitely through space and time I think we talked to Greg Braden Repeatedly about that concept, didn't we And uh, his thing is about consciousness and emerging consciousness and powers of premonitions and much more. I think we've got a lot to cover. Dr. Larry Dossi, welcome to News for the Soul.
3: Nicole, thanks for inviting me.
1: Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. It's it's kind of been a long time coming, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: I, I agree. Why haven't we talked before?
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like we're we? we're
3: swimming in the same waters, uh, for sure. Uh,
1: very much so. Very much so. But we are now, that's an important point, and... Uh, Boy, you know we've got to basically do the Dr. Larry Dawsey 101. Start at the beginning of your story so we can get to know how we got here today.
3: <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, the Power of Premonitions uh, is a book that I tried actually not to write. I uh, early on in my career as an internal medicine uh, physician, I uh, I really didn't want to venture into these areas because, as you probably know very well, this is not. Fooling around with these ideas is not the very best way to advance your career in medicine. (laughs) But uh, I I didn't have much choice in the matter, uh, as it turned out. Uh, The very first year I was in medical practice, I had a series of dreams which uh, were precognitive, uh, 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 which is the term I use for premonitions. uh, And uh, I saw the clinical events of uh, my patients before they actually would happen the next day. Uh, This scared me to death. I I did not know how to deal with this. It unnerved me. Uh, And so I did something that I'm really good at, Nicole. I I just practiced denial. (laughs) I I just didn't want to deal with these because I did not know what to do with them. But I knew in a heartbeat that the world just didn't work the way I had been taught. Uh, If we could see uh, the future, which I clearly had done, uh So, I just sort of stayed in a, a state of uh denial for uh, uh several months after that initial experience but then my how many patient, did you
1: have how many well, you a, a series
3: three. of three and uh some of them were so complex and 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 really almost in camera like detail they were so specific. Yes. You so, know what,
1: that's what caught my, my eye about your story, I've got to tell you, just personally, because I've had that myself, those dreams, and it's always 24 hours in advance. And I, you know, journalist mind and left brain mind, I mean, it's, you know, it's like I had to have that direct experience as well, so I would know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Couldn't prove it to anybody else, but I would know, right? Exactly. And it was always 24 hours in advance, and it's different than a dream. It's, it's like very real.
3: Well, you know, the vividness of these things is one of the most striking uh, features of them. And uh, actually, as we may talk about a little later on, that's one of the clues that we can use about uh, knowing which, uh, which premonitions that come in dreams are worthy of paying attention to. Those really vivid ones that seem like they're sort of lit up from the inside, as one woman told me.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But then, uh, actually, uh, a short time later, my patients discovered that I had an interest in this area because I began to write about it in editorials and books, and my patients began to come to me with their premonitions. Uh, one morning, one of my favorite patients, she was a really a hotshot lawyer in Dallas, uh, came and said, "I I know I have ovarian cancer, and I need your help instantly." Uh, uh, she said, I had a dream last night in which I saw three little white spots on my left ovary. So uh, she said, I know that they're ovarian cancer. We, we did an exam. It was normal. Uh, we did a sonogram. And sure enough, on her left ovary, there were the three little white spots, just as she had dreamt them. Uh, the good part of that story is that she got her diagnosis wrong, however. These were just benign ovarian cysts and not uh, cancerous lesions. But then nurses started coming to me with their premonitions as well, and I have to say that I've never met a professional group that was more premonition-prone than nurses. Uh, and so it went on and on, and over the years, I began to feel very comfortable with this. And I, uh, and then when the, the science uh, behind premonitions began to come out about three or four years ago with elegant uh, computer-based test, which shows that people can indeed sense the future. Uh, I decided to write a book about this, and uh, it fit in with the previous ten books that I have written about consciousness and spirituality and health, and so uh, uh, premonitions are real, and I, I think that it's time we all came out of the closet and put this up as a topic for fit discussion.
1: Well, you and I can't be the only weirdos out there. I mean, there's, it's got to be normal if, if, you know, we're discovering each other. But i got to ask, why are nurses of this prominent uh, premonition-inclined group?
3: Well, you know, in your introduction, you mentioned left and right brain. And I think that nurses simply, uh, most, most nurses still are women. And uh, I think that they struggle less with the intuitive side of life uh, than left brain physicians do. Uh, some I, plus the fact that they spend more time at the bedside than physicians do, uh, they they hear stories, uh, patients open up to them, uh, they have their own experiences, and uh, I just simply think there's an openness uh, that nurses possess toward this side of our existence that uh, is sort of educated out of uh, young physicians as they go through university and medical school.
1: So, And it could also be our conditioning, I guess, just the male, gender, the way you're raised versus the way we're raised kind of thing We're they're a little more forgiving, perhaps.
3: Well, uh, I I completely agree. Uh, I've been married to a wonderful nurse for 42 years, and uh, Barbara, my wife, is a nurse educator and uh, uh, goes around the country uh, teaching holistic principles to nurses uh, in the same way that I do uh, with physicians. I thought that, uh, as a matter of fact, that doctors would never open up about this, but I was wrong about that. Uh, When when the book was finished, I uh, had the opportunity to talk to uh, large groups of doctors around the country at medical schools and continuing medical education courses, Uh, and I opened up and shared with them uh, the contents of this book and my own experiences. And then, this invariably happened, Nicole, the but they would uh, in the Q and A session. They would open up and respond by telling me their stories. I thought I would never uh, uh, see this, but uh, it's an amazing thing. I think that uh, uh, they're sitting basically on tons of stories, which most people would be shocked to hear. I know I was uh, at a uh, last fall at a Harvard Medical School-sponsored conference. Uh, we I was talking with them about these issues. A group of a hundred doctors and. One woman stood right up in the middle of the audience, and she said, "Well, I, I see numbers. I get numbers in my dreams." She said, "I, uh, I see the specific laboratory values of my patients' lab tests before I even order the tests."
1: <laughs> and, and it went from wow. there.
3: So, you know, one of the uh, effects I hope uh, of this book is that it will uh, encourage physicians to. Be more open and public about what I think is just a treasure trove of experiences that they usually are silent about
1: so your your work with with respect to the medical field has been predominantly with premonitions.
3: it started out uh, looking at the role of consciousness in a book called space time and medicine twenty uh, something years ago uh, and then uh, the uh, i the thing that uh, uh, I suppose my name is attached to most firmly is the role of prayer in healing. I wrote a book uh, in 1993 called Healing Words, The Power of Prayer and the Practice of Medicine, which wound up, I'm happy to say, on the New York Times bestseller list. And it really had a huge influence on how uh, these matters are discussed and taught in medical schools. For the first time, I... uh, came forward with uh, all the studies the experiments I could find looking at the role of prayer and healing and it it was shocking there were over 100 and, uh, around 150 of them uh this was a well kept secret no one had ever brought these studies forward before and it uh, really had a a a quite wonderful effect on the openness of the medical schools toward this uh this this area of prayer and healing intentions uh, in medicine Uh, When that book uh, first came out in '93, there were only three of the nation's 125 medical schools that had any place in the curriculum for looking at the role of spirituality and healing intentions and and getting well. And now, as we speak, over 90 uh, of the nation's 125 schools have come on board with uh, actual places in the curriculum that talk about these studies and uh, actually have made a huge difference in, in medical education. You know, you can't get a medical degree now without knowing how to take a spiritual history from a patient. <laughs> I, I find that most people don't know this. Uh, and that's so, shocking
1: actually from the from the stereotype. I, I wasn't aware it was yeah, that.
3: Yeah, I I think people need to be aware of this. I you know, you you may not be able to see the difference in how doctors are educated around these things. Uh uh, if you go to an individual doctor who hasn't uh, been clued in about this. But, you know, looking down the line, this is going to make a huge difference in, in the receptiveness of physicians and the way they interact with patients where spiritual issues are concerned.
1: It's it's a door opening that, you know, has been rigidly nailed shut in the past. <laughs> it seems, oh, it sure
3: has. Actually, for know, most d- of the 20th century, we've denied that these things are important. Uh, Let me give you a statistic, though, that uh, has really been important in the response of the medical schools toward the role of spirituality. Uh, There are scores of tests now, uh, experiments and surveys, that show that people who follow some sort of spiritual path in their life, on average, live seven to 13 years longer than people who do not. Uh, And they're healthier in, in the process. They have a lower incidence of all the major diseases, so following a spiritual path, regardless of what you pick, is promotive of, of good health and longer life. And, and it's because of this data that the medical schools have come on board and uh, uh, responded because I think it's clear to most of them now that we cannot ignore any longer such a huge factor in, in health and longevity. It would be like turning your, your eyes away from the role of stopping smoking which is hugely Mm -hmm. important for people's health not to do. So uh, I'm happy to uh, report to you that we're making, uh, I think, landmark progress in this field. Well, that
1: is excellent news. Um, Specifically with the prayer thing, before we move beyond that stage of your work, Mm -hmm. what were your specific findings as far as, like, what was the nature of the prayer? Was it positive expectation or was it sort of... uh, praying to a higher source? What kind of prayer was it?
3: Well, it's been looked at uh, uh, carefully in, in several studies by now, and uh, you know it's almost embarrassing. These prayer strategies, strategies are, are all over the ballpark. People who are affiliated with a specific religion will pray to their version of the Almighty. Uh, some will simply pray, may thy will be done uh, or may the best thing happen without attaching a specific outcome request. Uh, Other people are more comfortable praying uh, simply for an open-ended kind of thing. Others, about a specific outcome, you know, take the cancer away, heal the heart attack, something that specific. But then there are people uh, who pray who are not affiliated with the religion. Uh, That seems kind of strange to people in our culture, but Buddhism, for example, is not a theistic religion. Buddhists don't pray to a supreme being. But Buddhist prayer in these experiments is equally effective as uh, fundamentalist Christian prayer. Uh, the picture that's come out of all of these experiments in prayer and healing is that no specific religion has cornered the market on prayer and healing.
0: You're now tuned in to Nicole Whitney's News for the Soul highlight life-changing spotlights she has shared with leading teachers in the human consciousness field since 1997. Go now to newsforthesoul.com to hear the full shows totally free. That's newsforthesoul.com. Isn't the one
1: fundamental common denominator with all the things you mentioned? Isn't the singular common denominator firm belief?
3: Uh, Yes, that's part of it. You know, I think there may be one, however, that trumps even that, Nicole, and I think that's love. Uh, mm-hmm. Compassion, caring, deep, deep concern for whoever it is uh, we're praying for. You know, we we often say in casual conversation that we pray for our loved ones, uh, and I think there's a whole bunch of meaning in that uh, comment. Uh, if people pray unconditionally, uh, out of love and compassion and deep concern, regardless of the religion uh, they're affiliated with, there's statistical evidence that those prayers uh, uh, work. And uh, so I think that says a lot about the role of religious tolerance uh, in our culture, you know, that no specific religion owns prayers of healing, although some fundamentalists seem to think they do. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) But moving on from there, but the bottom line is is it's... it's, uh created data that has made its way into the mainstream medical teaching community, which is excellent to hear.
3: Yeah, it's that, um, that pesky little four-letter word data. Yeah, that's made mm. all the difference.
1: It does. Well, it's brought those two places together and that's excellent news. Mm-hmm. Um, now, but how, I mean, it's still such a stretch for to end up with you standing in, you know, Harvard with all these doctors going, yeah, I've had premonitions too. <laughs> That's still another big leap. <laughs> so how, how did that leap happen between, you know, power of intent or prayer to there?
3: Yeah, I, for me, uh, it hasn't been a huge leap. Uh, I think there's a big umbrella that encompasses all of the books that I've written, and it has to do with consciousness and how consciousness manifests in the world. Um uh, I started out talking about non-local mind. Uh, I introduced the term in uh, 1989 in a book called Recovering the Soul. And uh, For me, the ability of our intentions to reach out through space and even time to bring about healing in distant people who are in need is just one manifestation of how our consciousness operates in the world across space and time. And I think premonitions are simply another manifestation of that same uh, aspect of our consciousness. Premonitions show that consciousness isn't confined just to the present. Uh, we can know events in the future. So for me, this has all been of a piece, uh, looking at how consciousness manifests in the world. I, I think this is the, the thread that runs through everything I've ever written, all, all 11 books.
1: Yes, no, absolutely. Uh, we've talked for. This is why I was kind of shocked that we haven't talked before. <laughs> we've covered this for about you know 12 years here as well. Um, remote viewing, the science of of uh, you know, uh, distant space time, literally doing time sliding targets and all that over the years on these for the soul. It's been profoundly life changing for those of us that have have done that and coming from a, a knowing place. How do you i mean let's let's talk about that first work since it's, it's our first time talking i mean that was quite cutting edge for you said nineteen eighty nine
3: yes uh, that's right i uh, actually my uh personal experiences with uh uh premonitions uh, occurred many years prior to that uh, and also my experience with uh remote healing I live in a part of the world, uh, northern New Mexico, where there's, there's a shaman or a healer behind every tree, almost, it seems. And, uh, you know, it gave me the opportunity, uh, after leaving Dallas and moving here to northern New Mexico, to really jump in and explore what Native American healers thought about the nature of consciousness and prayer strategies and on and on and on. And, uh so coming to northern New Mexico was just really a very fertile thing for me to do in terms of opening up my own perspectives, uh, and uh, there proved to be a tremendous reception for my books around the country. I, you know, life remains uh, for me uh, an airplane. I I have the wonderful opportunity to talk to thousands of doctors uh, every year at medical schools and hospitals around the country about these cutting edge issues. Uh, and I find that most of them are fascinated. Most of them are completely in the dark that there is such a thing as a controlled experiment and healing and controlled experiments and future knowing or, or premonitions. And, and so, uh, you know, I've just been sort of a... Uh, uh, someone who's an ambassador who runs around the country stirring the pot uh, <laughs> over these controversial issues. And... Uh, yeah you know, it's a, it's a marvelous opportunity that I've been given, and not many people have the opportunity to be asked to talk about these controversial things but i think I think most physicians have a real hunger to open up about these things uh, they've been uh, instructed that the world doesn't work like this, so they've come to doubt their own personal experiences where remote healing and miracle cures and premonitions are concerned, but that is changing. Uh, There was a survey, Nicole, about uh, four years ago looking at over 1,000 physicians around the country and all subspecialties, and uh, the goal of the survey was to discover doctors' beliefs about spiritual healing. And 75% of them said that they thought that miracles had occurred in the past. Uh, An equal number said that miracles still occur in the present. And uh, 55% of them said that they had actually seen what they would call miracle cures in their own patients. So, you, you know, what's going on here? If you, you know, the the stereotyp- stereotypical picture is that doctors believe none of this. You know, they're hard-headed yeah. intellectuals who wouldn't go down that path, you know, of spirituality or remote effects of consciousness and all that. But the surveys show otherwise.
1: So, what are these um, the the tests the the blind studies on future knowing you mentioned? Mm
3: -hmm. What are those? Well, I give you uh, uh, one example of the of the studies that I I I find most compelling myself. They've they've come out of uh, the Institute of Noetic Sciences and about twenty other researchers around the world who have replicated these things. Uh, I'll bet you know the name, Dr. Dean Radin. Uh, oh, yes, yes.
1: He's been on the show before.
3: Yeah. He, uh, he spearheaded and pioneered these uh, tests, and they're just ingenious, and they show, without a doubt, in, in most of our opinions, who, those of us who look at these things, that we have an innate ability to see the future and that this is extremely widespread in, in, in human beings. So what he does is to hook somebody up to a computer, uh, and uh, they will have some... Something, some bodily event measured. It could be the 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 diameter of their pupil, which responds to stress, or it could be their blood pressure, or the electrical conductivity of their skin—the sort of thing that's measured in a lie detector test. Uh, Anything that registers stress uh, and emotion in the body. And so this computer is going to show the individual a picture, and it will be one of two types. It will either be a really serene, peaceful scene, like a scene from nature or at the beach or something like that, or it will be exactly the opposite. It will be a very emotional scene, something extraordinarily violent, like an autopsy or a trauma or something like that, or even erotic, uh, emotionally stimulating images. Uh, The computer doesn't know what it's gonna do before it does it, because it's programmed to make a random choice between these two types of pictures. Here's the thing. If the image that's going to be shown is one of these violent emotional things, the body begins to react several seconds before the computer ever shows the image or before it even makes the randomized choice. The body doesn't respond nearly as much as uh, if the picture that's coming up is one of these peaceful things. So the question is, how in the world does your unconsciousness and your body pick up on what's going to happen before the computer even does it?
1: Or does your mind affect what the computer so-called randomly chooses?
3: Well, it could be that way, but then you 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 know you get into an equal mystery of how in the world that happens. Most people <laughs> who uh, look at these things seem to think that information is coming from the future into the present, informing people uh, of what lies ahead in the future before it even takes place. There are a couple of Nobel Prize winners who have actually taken these tests and hooked up to the computer and come away extremely sobered. Uh, and I talk about these these two individuals in, in the book uh, on premonitions, and, and they seem to think that information is coming from the future into the present. Uh, but whatever is happening, it, it shows that our consciousness is not confined to the present and probably not even to the brain. Uh, I think, you know, is to use that term once again, I think we have a non-local mind, mind not localized to the brain or to the present, but a mind that can reach out in space and time. Mm-hmm. One reason I am enthusiastic about talking about this picture of consciousness is that uh, I believe it points like an arrow toward immortality. Uh, and the way that, that works, I think, is that these studies show we have a timeless, a timeless aspect of who we are. And if you reason through that, it seems like this is uh, an indicator of what we used to call the soul, something that is outside of time, that's eternal, and, and therefore immortal. So I think you get more out of these experiments than just you a know, little trick that helps you know what a computer's going to do. Mm-hmm. I think there are larger lessons here, and they have to do with immortality and uh, our destiny.
1: It's really about the big questions, isn't it? That's why we're...
3: <laughs> yeah, the big questions, uh, capital B, capital Q. Yeah, that's uh, that's it.
1: Absolutely. And, um, I mean, like you said, with that... One example of of the blind test, you know, it's it's astounding. Whatever it is, it's astounding what's going on, and it's very telling that we're more than we've been told we are. Um, and you know, I think you bring up a really good point too, because this has my, been my theory for some time: is that even in the stodgiest of mainstream outlets, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's still human individuals just like us within them, and they're all having. I mean, it can't just be you and me. <laughs> <laughs> and we know it's not you and me you know it's,
3: it's there's people there it.
1: having the same things and it's going to come out it's gonna. we're going to figure this out
3: <laughs> you know i've i've had the opportunity to, to uh, travel around the country for three months on a book tour for the power of premonitions and uh talked to thousands of people at bookstores and, and so on and i've discovered nicole that everybody's got a story uh about premonitions, how they've had some intuition or a hunch that's saved a life or allowed them to know about a health issue that's coming up or avoid a disaster or, or something like that. And people are just hungry to, to tell their stories. So I, I say that just to affirm what you said, that it's not just you and me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you know, surveys show that over half the American population has had at one time or other some sort of premonition, Uh, uh, and whether they call it a premonition or a gut feeling or an intuition about what lies ahead. And
1: uh, uh, What are some of the most shocking, you know, ones that even got you, made you just go, wow? What what are some of the most amazing
3: (laughs) stories? Here it goes. This was related to me in a bookstore in Seattle uh, several weeks ago, and it, uh, it concerned the husband uh, of a woman who, who told me this, who came to the bookstore talk. And uh, her husband was an internal medicine doctor. And and one uh, one day uh, a patient came and she said, I've got breast cancer. I dreamed about it last night. And she took an index finger and she pointed and she said, it's right here. Uh, and uh, she, the doctor did an A breast exam; it was normal. Uh, He even did a mammogram just to allay her anxiety. It was completely normal, and so she wouldn't let him off the hook. She said, "Look, this is the most vivid dream I've ever had in my life. I want a breast biopsy." And uh, so, what to do? He he finally phoned a friend of his, a doctor who was a surgeon, a breast surgeon, and said, "Look, you know, would you just do the biopsy?" And the doctor said, "Well." Where the heck am I going to biopsy? There's nothing to biopsy. Uh, and the first doctor said, "Well, just biopsy where she points." So uh, the surgeon agreed to do it. And uh, about a week later, the pathologist who had looked at the tissue under the microscope phoned the first doctor and said, "This is the this is the tiniest breast cancer I've ever seen in my career. It's absolutely microscopic. How did how did you know?" It was there. It wouldn't have made any, caused any symptoms. You couldn't have felt it. It wouldn't even have shown up on a mammogram. And to his credit, the doctor said, I didn't find it. She did, in a dream. Wow. So if you think about all of the, the statistical probabilities there, about all the places in two breasts where she could have been biopsied, to have found this thing right exactly where she pointed on the basis of a dream, I, I think is fairly stunning.
1: Apparently, indeed.
3: <laughs> you want to you hear one more that made the down? stand oh, up? Oh, I
1: want to nice? hear tons more.
3: <laughs> well, this one uh, was told to me also by a woman at a bookstore in uh, Seattle. I don't know what it is about Seattle, but, boy, <laughs> people seem to be premonition prone there. Uh, this woman uh, had a feeling uh, that her son was in danger. You know, this just came on out of the clear blue. She was on one... Uh, uh, side of the country, and her 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 son lived all the way across the the United States, and this was an oppressive feeling uh, to her. This was not a dream. This is just this occurred in full waking consciousness, and so all of a sudden she saw a string of numbers just float into her mind. She had no idea what this string of numbers meant, but then she got the notion that she should pick up the phone and and uh, and dial this string of numbers which she did so she was connected with uh, a hospital emergency room in the city where her son lived the nurse comes on and says may I help you and the woman says I, I don't know I don't even know why I, uh, I dialed you I didn't know your number and so she said I'm just worried about my son well what's his name and she says it and this uh, nurse says, oh, yes, he just came in a couple of hours ago. Dr. So-and-so has just finished taking care of him. Let me get the doctor on the phone for you. So the doctor yeah. comes on the phone and says, your son was terribly injured, but I'm happy to tell you that he's going to be just fine. So what do you wow. mean? Wow. Well, wow. That's pretty that's, dramatic. That's what I said. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, one you think you've heard the strangest premonition story of all, and then somebody else comes along with one that tops that. And, uh,
1: I like when when it becomes when you've heard it so much, it becomes normal. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, I I agree. You know, these things used to uh, uh, seem so strange to me. I, I must say that I've gotten so many of these stories, and people keep emailing me their their premonitions that. Uh, I've come to believe that this is just the way the world works and we need to uh, evolve to a, a willingness to, to talk about this. And uh, I hope, I'd like to think that that's uh, what we're doing. Uh, in the same way that uh, prayer and healing have become respectable to talk about in medical schools, I'm hoping that we can see the same evolution toward a greater openness toward Talking about premonitions. May, well, I? I
1: think we, we in a lot of circles we are doing that already, vis a vis, you know, here for twelve years now. Yep. And uh, yeah. many places, you know. I think you're right. It's it's just our natural state and we're just gotta deal with it. Um, have you had any further premonitions yourself?
3: I've had some minor ones. i Uh, Nothing on the order of the shocking, stunning ones that uh, I had the first year I was uh, involved in medical practice. I've often asked myself why that's so. I've had uh, some minor premonitions, uh, I would call them, uh, about minor, minor things. But I I think that my premonitions didn't dry up. I, I used to think that they might have, but I think they've just taken other forms. I think my premonition sense now has evolved into something I, I just want to call intuition, mm. just sort of a hunch or gut feelings, uh, kind of subtle knowing. And, Nicole, I, I think it serves me pretty well. I I think I have a pretty good premonition sense about what lies ahead. And uh, I think uh, it, it has worked to my advantage in my personal and professional life and I'm very grateful for it.
1: Well, it's easy to see the purpose behind the dramatic entrance, you know, so it would get your attention and change your path for what uh, what work you're doing on the planet. So it makes sense, it really does. Um, you know, I, I just uh, the dream premonitions are a separate category in my mind because I've had these and I know it's it's really weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like even just a sudden vision or something. It's it's I hate using the word dream because it's more like a dramatic communication in an altered state that happens to wake you up
3: in your sleep or something. You know, (laughs) I feel the same way. I, uh, uh, you know, this thing that you mentioned earlier about the vividness uh, of them seems to set them apart from just routine uh, fantasy-type dreams that we forget, you know, almost as quickly as uh, they happen. Uh, One woman told me that these premonitions that turn out to be true uh, seem absolutely different from her normal dream. She said they come to her in italics, as if they're set apart in some way. One woman said that they feel like they're realer than real, and someone else said that they feel like they're lit up from the inside. In other words, they have a special quality that when they're going on, people know that you know this is a clue to listen up. It it
1: is, yeah, it's so that you know, exactly. And that's why the word dream just...
3: Doesn't capture it, does it?
1: Yeah. No, no, it's it's deceptive. And it, it also, because we can put other meaning to it, it really doesn't honor what it is. I, I've just always been sort of frustrated with, no, it was like a dream, but it wasn't a dream. You know? yeah. Trying yeah. to kind of find terminology around something that we hadn't really defined yet. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting that we're all saying the same thing. Like, my premonition dream was always about something really important, really dramatic, always within the next 24 hours, and I've I could never forget any of them even if I wanted
3: to. May I share one more with you? uh, Yes, please. Capture, uh, I think, some of the qualities that people ought to pay attention to. Uh, One of these qualities is is the mother-child relationship. Uh, I'll bet you there are more premonitions about uh, a child uh, who is in danger than than probably any other single type. I mean, these are just absolutely classic. And I think they show also the importance of emotional bonding in, in a lot of premonitions. In any case, this is a premonition I opened the book with. Uh, It had to do with a young woman, a young mother uh, from Washington Washington State, and she dreamt one night. This is more like a a nightmare than uh, than anything else, that the chandelier in the ceiling of her infant's room uh, next to her and her husband's bedroom, the chandelier fell out of the ceiling and crushed the child and, uh, demolished the crib and, and and in the dream she uh, saw a clock on the baby's bureau which read 4.35 in the morning. So she wakes up. She's ha- absolutely horrified by this dream. It was so vivid. She wakes her husband up and tells him about it and he just says, "It's you know, it's look, it's just a dream. Go back to sleep, which he promptly did. Uh, she can't go back to sleep, so she goes and uh, gets the baby out of the crib and brings the baby back to bed with them. Uh, So they all go back to sleep, and about a couple of hours later, there's this huge crash from the next room, and she goes in with her husband, and sure enough, the chandelier has fallen from the ceiling and has absolutely wrecked the infant's crib. If the infant had been in the crib, the infant would have been killed. So uh, she looks at the uh, clock uh, in the room, and it says 435.
0: You're now tuned in to Nicole Whitney's News for the Soul highlights, life-changing spotlights she has shared with leading teachers in the human consciousness field since 1997. Go now to newsforthesoul.com to hear the full shows totally free. That's newsforthesoul.com. So this woman... Wow, I had chills her. on
3: that one.
0: Well, yeah, wow.
3: I know. She dreamt... The- wow completely accurately and also down to the minute so uh, again i would just emphasize that this issue of mother child bonding and and deep emotional connections is a is a quality that we see quite often in uh in so many premonitions.
1: you know i've got to share one of mine with my uh, child with you It's, it's one that wasn't from any sort of dramatic danger thing um But, you know, I've had so many of those, I've I've just never questioned. I always listen to it now. So whenever that kind of event happens, I just unquestionably, you know, whether it makes sense or I have a left brain explanation or not, (laughs) who cares, right? (laughs) right. (laughs) And um, I have the strangest thing when I was pregnant with my uh, youngest daughter where um, again, it was during sleep time but it was not a dream. It literally woke me up but it was I was like paralyzed and it was dark so there's no visual, but it was a communication kind of a thing. And um so I sensed a presence, woke up and I'm again I'm lying there in the dark. Like I don't think my eyes were actually open or anything. Um, and I sensed this present going, Hi there. <laughs> I'm going to be your daughter, or, or I'm going to be your baby, I'm going to be a girl, and I want you to name me Brianda, please. <laughs> and it made me sound it out, like really exaggerated, you know, with my mouth, like Brianda, Brianda, over and over until I fell asleep. And I woke up the next morning, I thought, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> well. And uh, I went down to, you know... I was going to write it down and keep track in case I actually had a girl, which I did, obviously, Um, and thought, well, I don't know how to spell Brianda. I've never heard that name before, so I went on to, you know, Googling it and looking up uh, baby books, you know, eight billion names for your baby. It didn't exist anywhere. There was Brianna, and that was it. Wow. So I had to make up the spelling, but I thought, hey, cool, she named herself. That was really handy and impressive. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well
3: wow, that's a beautiful pretty amazing. yeah that, that's fabulous.
1: so there you go. It doesn't always have to be some you know life terrifying moment, but you know it's uh it's interesting how how many stories you've been able to how many stories have you heard thus
3: far? do you think oh gosh, hundreds, I think I've got enough for another sequ- a sequel to the to the first book. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah,
1: this you could probably just keep going. <laughs>
3: You know, so many of them. Uh, uh, so many of them warn people of impending health crises and uh, just physical illnesses, or even uh, even physical disasters—hurricanes uh, or tsunamis or something of that sort—or crashed airplanes or trains or something. Yes. That people avoid them uh, by taking action, and I, uh, I, I've, I've come to regard premonitions as a kind of preventive medicine because they often give people a heads-up about things to avoid. Uh, along those you know lines, what, Do you
1: find that people always take action? I mean,
3: no. <laughs> I, I've been in that
1: situation, you know, where I thought, oh, God, if I say something, they're going to think I'm insane, but if I don't say something and then it happens, I'm going to really regret it forever. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, I've had situations where I've had to say, look, if you do that, you're going to die. So, yeah. <laughs> have you had a lot of people with stories like that?
3: Yes, I have, actually, uh one well, of the most dramatic I came across uh, was the story of a man who worked in the bottom floor of one of the Twin Towers uh, uh, on 9-11, and uh, uh, several days before 9-11, he had a dream that the towers were falling down, people were jumping out of buildings, the whole world was sort of in chaos, and uh, and then, unknown to him, uh, his wife began to report that she had an identical dream. He did not tell her about his dream, so he did not cue her. So he had this husband and wife uh, who had the identical dream that the towers were gonna crash. They were both really intellectual people, and they chose to disregard uh, the dream. And unfortunately, he died uh, at the work site uh, uh, in one of the towers on 9-11. This was an example of a shared premonition, and I'll tell you, if that ever happens to listeners, if, you know, your spouse or your partner begins to share a dream that you don't cue them on about something terrible coming up, that is a sure sign to pay attention and take something really seriously if the dream is shared, the premonition is shared. Wow. There's, before we leaving 9-11, I might mention one thing that uh, I think is very important evidence, perhaps, about... T- taking premonition seriously, uh, uh, most people tend to think that those four doomed airplanes on 9-11 were packed full of full of people, and you know, four full planes crashed that yeah. day. But that wasn't the case. They were, uh, they were seventy nine percent empty. Yep. and that's not just one of those planes. It was all four of them.
1: Oh, so Lord, it's, I know it's shocking, yeah. isn't it? That-
3: Yeah, it is shocking. I was
1: specifically going to say, as soon as you mention 9-11, you know, you must have a lot of stories just on, I mean, that could be probably several books full of premonition stories alone.
3: Well, if you Google premonitions of 9-11, you'll come up with a half million hits. Yeah. I spent days looking. A lot of these things are on YouTube where people are so impressed they made a video describing these things. And I spent days looking at these things, and, and some of them are absolutely eerie. They were so camera-like and in detail. But it seems like a lot of people have found some reason not to travel on 9-11 with those planes being uh, 79% empty. I don't know about you, but I I fly a lot, and I don't get on airplanes that are only 21% full. <laughs> Especially
1: now. Oh, my goodness, no. Well, you know, this is the thing, though, is, is bringing this out into the fore like you're doing people you know you still don't know when you've had those oh should i say something or should i take a different action or you know we still have that programmed instinctive response to doubt and I i think that's the most important thing you're doing is is you know educating people to listen and tune in and listen when something is speaking to you in that manner
3: well i hope that that that's the result of this book uh you know i we might uh remind people about the clues that uh, one can find in order to take to tell the ones apart from, that they should pay attention to rather than sort of fantasies. And we keep mentioning the vividness. That's certainly one. And we've mentioned if they're shared by a partner or a spouse, you know, that's a clue to listen up. And also if they're recurrent. Uh, I use uh, examples in the book of, uh, of uh, illness dreams illness, impending illness type dreams that just wouldn't go away and then when the person went to the doctor uh, and relate related, related this tests actually proved that these uh, recurrent premonitions were right on target these are very very frequent Carl Jung also said that if you have a premonition of death uh, it should always be taken seriously because you might not get a second chance so Vividness, recurrence, whether or not they're shared and whether they deal with death are clues that people could use to differentiate uh, serious premonitions from those that can be just uh, disregarded.
1: Do you find the 24-hour factor, is that common?
3: Yeah, most of these uh, do happen within 24 hours. Uh, Actually, there's one woman I talked about in the book who really is a quite famous woman in England who has... Uh, these dreams all the time. Hers are invariably 21 days. This is called a precognitive interval, the interval between the premonition and its its eventual happening. I have no idea, Nicole, why some people's uh, premonition interval is one day and, and other people it's three weeks. You know, hers is always three weeks, 21 days. I don't, I do not understand that at all.
1: Yeah, and mine's always 24 hours, like without fail. And you know the other thing too, like you mentioned the vividness that uh I'd even go one further than that and say it's it's like you're really there as opposed to dream like really at all.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, you know, one oh. way to get a handle on uh the quality of these things and therefore uh know which ones possibly to pay more closer attention to is to keep a dream diary. Uh people who really get Good at uh, at this business, uh, often write down their dreams immediately on awakening, and this helps them keep track of the ones that come true, and uh, tell them apart from those that don't, and therefore they can uh, develop a sensitivity to the ones that uh, are more likely to actually pan out. Also, uh, one way of increasing people's sensitivity to premonitions is to develop a meditation practice. If you look at people who are really good with this business, almost always they will have some discipline in their life where they learn to sit down, be quiet, and pay attention. Whether people call that premonition or contemplation or just getting quiet, that's really one of the best ways that has ever been discovered to become more premonition prone.
1: Mm. Wow, this hour has just gone ridiculously fast. <laughs> I could talk to you forever. Um, let's give out your website before we run out of time here. What is your website? Yeah,
3: it's uh, it's easy. It's Dossi Dossi dot com. It's Dossi twice. I share it with my wife. Uh, that's why there are two Dossies there, and that's oh. spelled D O S S E Y. Wonderful. Well, I hope
1: it's not another twelve years before we get to talk again. I'd, I'd love to share more stories and stay in the Dossi Dossi loop.
3: <laughs> Let's make a point <laughs> to make that happen.
1: Wonderful. Uh, Thank uh, you so much uh, for being here today. Thanks, Nicole. Dr. Larry Dossy. you can find him at dot is so
3: cute,
1: dot com. And, uh, yes, it will get him on again. And, you know, I'd love to hear your stories. If you can relate to what we've been talking about today, I'm sure many of you can. News at newsforthesoul.com is our email at newsforthesoul.com. If you missed any of this show or any of our shows ever, That's where you go. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you again, I hope, real soon.
0: You're now tuned in to Nicole Whitney's News for the Soul highlights, life-changing spotlights she has shared with leading teachers in the human consciousness field since 1997. Go now to newsforthesoul.com to hear the full shows totally free. That's newsforthesoul.com. Call in to live News for the Soul shows daily for intuitive coaching, readings, numerology, leading edge health information, and much, much more with featured hosts from around the world. Go to newsforthesoul.com to join the next live show now. That's newsforthesoul.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to News for the Soul. This is Daniel Brinkley.
1: This is Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. Okay,
3: everybody, take a deep breath. We know that we choose to come to this world, and we're chosen to come to this world, and we've come for breath. We breathe in for ourselves and out for spiritual involvement. And as we breathe these moments,
0: let's open up our heart and open up our souls, and let the true awareness of News for the Soul make its impact now and forever. From the heart of Vancouver, what a great place to bring news for the soul. I
1: know, isn't it perfect? Remember that movie Dead Zone, Christopher Walken? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it
0: was like that for real. I think reasonably accurate, too, honey.
1: Oh, that's an understatement, honey. (laughs) (laughs) The Great Experiment. Welcome to News for the Soul, James Twyman. Yes, this is Uri. Hi, Uri. It's Nicole Whitney calling News for the Soul. Welcome to News for the Soul, Robert Allen.
4: Thank you, Nicole. It's great to be here with you
1: tonight. Why Are You Here? We're talking to Carolyn Mace about Sacred Contracts, one of her many best-selling books. Welcome to the show, Greg Braden.
3: Well, good evening, Nicole. It's uh, certainly a pleasure to hear your voice and a pleasure to be here tonight.
1: Welcome to the show, Stuart Wilde.
3: Thank you very much.
1: John Kehoe, welcome to News for the Soul.
4: Hey, how are you?
1: Next up, Dr. David Morehouse.
4: I'm so glad that you called me because you are doing such an important tasks important work because you are spreading a very positive message and my my message to everyone who is listening is be positive be optimistic but most important believe in yourself and then good things will start coming your way all right thank you okay i love you all
1: so that was rory geller who spoke to him in his home near london england
4: I was really
2: moved by last week's show because we made a commitment to a worldwide event to try to change consciousness.
4: And we love news for the show!
0: I'm feeling enormous energy around this show. Just enormous, enormous. uh, I really have to hand it to you, Nicole. You've created sort of a niche of amazing, amazing connections that just like <laughs> the angels and the devatas that are like attracted to news for the soul is amazing like uh, this is what's please. getting it, it's it's some angel telling somebody hey, okay listen get on this show listen to this program even not my program whatever program you've got on <laughs> it's really amazing
4: it's hard to believe it's uh, 17 years and i think there in vancouver and you were sitting there in class and you were using remote viewing and I think I said to you that uh, you were going to be a radio talk show host or something along those lines. It wasn't really a prediction, it was just a kind of a sense of who you were and what you were doing and the direction you were going. and Wow, voila,
1: and there you were.
4: And <laughs> still going. But it's amazing, look at what you've done with it. I just wanted to say I'm very proud of you. Uh, for what you've accomplished, uh, for just the format to the assemblage of wonderful people, great minds, and people who are working to serve humanity and do the things that they do. It's really, I've been looking through your list of callers, and, I mean, uh, of uh, interviewees, and you just do a tremendous job. I'm so proud of you. Uh, I really am. And, uh, I'm proud of all the people that support you and follow you and do what they do and just keep doing that for, for this wonderful woman. Uh, it's so important because there are not a lot of really high quality message portals that are out there where messengers get to come in and say what they want to say, uh, in this format. So it's because of your support of her that she's able to continue doing that. So please step that up and continue doing it. And I just want to do it more. I mean, I feel good being here and being with you. I always do when I'm talking with you. So I think we just need to keep doing this more.
3: And we love News for the
4: Soul! Hello, everybody. This is Damian Brinkley. Welcome to the hearts and minds
3: of Enfoldment. This is News for the Soul. Hello, this is Satya and Raja, and you're listening to News for the Soul Be open in your mind, your body, your being. Allow yourself to drench in this awesome information to evolve you
4: to your next place. Hey, this is Dave Morehouse, and you're listening to News for the Soul.
0: Call in to live News for the Soul shows daily for intuitive coaching, readings, numerology, leading-edge health information, and much, much more with featured hosts from around the world. Go to newsforthesoul.com.